What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Say. And a big thank you to our sponsors, who are our patrons and academies, without whom this show could not possibly exist. And what a very, very, very special show we have today. Uh, we welcome back to the podcast, the wonderful Sarah Pimbra. Uh, Sarah first appeared on episode 18. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling uh, and Sunday Times number one, an international bestselling author, published in over 25 territories worldwide. Her recent books include Behind Her Eyes, we're going to be talking about that, which is the smash hit six-part Netflix series, Cross Her Heart, that's in development with uh, and, uh, World Productions, and her new novel, Dead to Her, is out now. Now, we'll be talking to Sarah about what's happened since... We last spoke to her. We'll be asking listener questions about the book and the show. But spoiler warning, listeners, this is a spoiler special for Behind Her Eyes. We've never done anything like this before. So if you've not read the book or seen the TV series, then stop listening to this podcast right now and treat yourself to a copy of the book, listen to the audiobook, settle down to watch the TV show. You can thank us later and then enjoy this podcast. So from here on in, spoilers ahoy. You have been warned. Sarah Pimbra, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. It seems like only yesterday and yet also a lifetime ago. <laughs> oh, Sarah, do you, know, do you know what? I don't know what's more amazing, the success of your of your book and the Netflix series or the fact that Mark did that intro in one breath without... I know, I know. <laughs> I thought he's got good at this since I've been away. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have Here you back. Here we go. You know, the insults start it's early. Start, it's started early. Now, now, Sarah, we we decided we were listening back to the original interview we did with you, like way back in, like you know, oh, that was it was right back when we had, you know, we were we were young and inexperienced and uh, didn't really know what we were doing. But you see, when we had you back before, we had you in in the in the in the studio, obviously. Um, but we couldn't keep you quiet. So we thought we'd just bring you straight in rather than, you know, doing our usual pre <laughs> 10 minutes. We had a lot of wine as well, if I remember correctly. I remember that. There yeah. was a lot of wine. Yeah. yeah in fact, I was very jealous because I was in I was in Canada. You were. And I was watching you drinking, but then it wasn't it was 9 a.m. in the morning for me. So I guess, you know. How how are you doing? Like you've been on quite the journey since we last talked about. Have you have you caught up with things yet? Yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I think because I'm just naturally cynical and miserable, I am constantly ready for everything to fall apart. So you kind of, you still look at everybody else like they're successful and that, and that you're not, if you know what I mean. But then the me of 10 years ago would slap me around the face and say, you know, you've had luck that uh, in success that people would dream of. But you still kind of look and think, Oh God, is it, you know, I want to be established, whatever that means. And I'm sure even the established people worry about, 
staying a stay you know it's endless isn't it this job so but no in many ways it has been fabulous and you know it's behind our eyes obviously it did so well and you know everything's seems to be going swimmingly dead to hers in with amazon so it's all you know like yeah it's all pretty good you know it'd be nice if we could go out and maybe have a beer or eat in a restaurant <laughs> Which is something I read about in a fantasy novel once. I think I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> when when we last spoke to you, it was all just happening. I think you'd just done the Netflix deal. The book was about to come out. Yeah. Uh, how does, how has it all panned out since then? Because sometimes you know TV things can be optioned. They can go into development and then go absolutely no, nowhere or go around in circles. What was what was the journey like for you? Well, it was. I mean, there were some comedy moments on the way because Left Bank, who I sold it to, they're, you know, they're really great. And I hadn't really wanted to sell it to them to start with until I met them all. And then I was like, these guys are amazing. Um, and so they, first of all, they took it out to places like the BBC who wanted to change the ending. <laughs> um, yeah, because, you know, that's not the whole point of the story. Uh, <laughs> so they were like, no thanks, but no thanks. Um, and then it was just this this wonderful kind of coming together of things where, Netflix in America were reading the book and they wanted the a woman over there, Danielle, who was produced it. She really wanted the rights. And then someone said, no, they've already gone. And when the person told her that it was Left Bank who had the, the rights, of course, they make the crown together, Left Bank and Netflix. So they already have this amazing, you know, thing. So they were like, okay, well, we'll make it together. So that was all great. And then there was a, you know, a couple of kind of trying to find the right writer. And this is me being an idiot. So I was in my bed having a cup of tea and I opened my email and it was from Left Bank. And they were like, oh, come on, let's go have lunch because we've got Steve Lightfoot on board to write, you know, and I'm a massive Hannibal fan and, you know, like I really like his work. So I was really excited. And I think, you know, I just didn't read the rest of the email properly. So I thought we were having lunch because we had Steve Lightfoot adapting. So I was like, well, who free lunch? So, you know, I said, oh, yeah, it's great. And then they're like, well, you know, I said, well, it's great. I said, because now Steve's on board. You know, maybe we've got a really good chance they'll green light it. And Andy Harris and Jeff Bader, like, left back, they looked at me and they were like, did you read the email properly? And I was like, I don't know, what, what did I miss? And it said, now that we have Steve Lightfoot, they green lit it without seeing a script. So it was green. So there was never, I know. So I was like, oh, that's why we're having the lunch. <laughs> Come on, keep up. Note to producers, put the free food and drink at the end of the email. And then the whole, because it's like, oh, free food, where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it has been, so in that regard, it was a really smooth process because there was none of this like judging it on one script and judging it on two scripts. Like with Cross a Heart, that fell apart at ITV, I think, because... They talked them. They kind of note. They gave that they loved the first draft, and then by the time they'd done three rounds of notes, they didn't. I mean, I wasn't adapting it. They'd talked themselves out of it almost. So I've yeah, got the rights right. to that back. But I mean, Netflix was so kind of keen to have. Once they had a writer, they approved on board. It was smooth sailing, and so then it was. You know, I've got. I'm working on Left Bank with something else. It's just been great for me. And and to be, you know, like people always, you know, I mean, you know what it's like, Mark. Three years from. Because it was ready last summer. Obviously, the pandemic pushed the the launch right, date back. Right, right. So we were ready. We were supposed to be airing last July, and then because everything else was, I think it was things like needing subtitles being done for shows that were due first. So so everything was running behind. So it was all a bit sort of mucky with timings. Although I'm glad it it moved to now. 
Um, so really three years from book coming out and option to being on the TV is really quite fast. And we thought putting a book out took time, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we thought putting a book out took a long time. Yeah. How, how, how did you find the anticipation of that? Because that must have been really hard to manage. I mean, there must be a lot of excitement, you know, waiting to see What's well, happening? I mainly spent a lot of time worrying I was going to get hit by a bus before it came out, <laughs> because that's how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to wrap myself in bubble wrap so that I actually got to see it. <laughs> you know, there's not and a lot to think about in a pandemic. Take us to that moment where you actually, <laughs> um, presumably you, you, you presumably didn't have to turn on Netflix to watch, watch the no, show. I like, saw it last year. So, so tell us, take us back to that moment. I did this with Mark actually the other day when, when he went and saw a screening of his, his movie in the Warner studio. But take us back to, to that moment, like bring all the authors that dream of doing what you've achieved. Well, take us I, to that I, point. Where did you see it? Well, I kind of think that most people would have a slightly better experience because it was the middle of a pandemic. Right. So yeah. They basically sent me a link and I sat on my sofa on my own. No. And I watched it. <laughs> and then we were supposed to have a screening. And of course, we were still in a pandemic in February. So we had a Zoom screening. And, oh you know, so there hasn't oh. been any of the. Like HarperCollins wanted to do a big thing where. You know, we were going to do a competition and then the winners would get to come for dinner and then come to the screening at, left, you know, the Left Bank organised or Netflix organised one. But all of that was out the window. So first of all, my first thought when I got the link was, oh, God, this is 2020. If this is utter shit, it's going to finish my year off. <laughs> and also, I'm going to really have to practice going, you know, when you have to practice that, oh, my God, it's great, because I really don't believe in authors slagging off adaptations of their own work because I think you took the money and you took and normally it's very good money so at least either say nothing or be polite so I was mm. thinking oh god am I gonna have to practice being polite <laughs> but no I really loved it so I watched it twice over in the first week and then I got um the uh Jester producer to send me a track listing so I had the playlist of all the music because I thought the music was great yeah the music's brilliant and yeah, then when it came really out on Netflix obviously being the egocentric person I am my original plan way back when was oh well we've got a pub which has got this big back room and I thought oh maybe I could hire that room and get a screen and we could you know like have one episode and then have like drinks and food and then have another episode then have a party and it would be great and everybody would tell me I'm amazing and what happened in the end was I went around my mum's because that's my bubble and we had a bucket of KFC and I made her watch the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> Now tell us, is, is did your mum did your mum watch it or was she like commenting all the way through? Oh no! See now, my mum has read the book. Right? Okay. Now, my mum is eighty, so my sister lives with my mum. So there's me, my sister, and my mum. And first of all, now, I mean, like my mum, and to put it in context, my mum has only ever had sex with my dad. You know, like they there was never. I mean, to the point she has said that she occasionally wishes she tried some other people, <laughs> as you do. Is this yeah. T and I, Sarah? My dad's dead now. You can go. Go for it, Mum. You're 80, but give it, give me your best love. Oh, no, this story gets worse. This story gets worse. So, so me and my sister are sitting there watching it, and the sex scene comes up with David and Adele, where they're, they're having some face-to-face -face shagging, and she says she loves him, and then he flips her over so he can carry on. So he's doing it from behind. And there's this long pause. And I don't think it's any more comfortable watching sex with your parents when you're nearly 50 is when, you know, like when you're young. But my mum's sitting there and she went, are they doing anal? 
anal sex or just normal sex. <laughs> and me and my sister were like, and I said, and I've really not been drinking in the pandemic. And my sister just picked up this bottle of champagne and went, top up. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the end. And admittedly, I have made them watch all six episodes. So we get to the end. And my mother being as all mothers, she's pretending she hasn't, but we know she's dozed off in episode six. Right, so she's so she wakes up at the end, and then she went, "Oh, that poor Adele. She was such a nice girl." And we were like, "Yeah." She went until the alien got inside. (laughs) 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 What alien? She went, you know, the little light in the forest. (laughs) So you know, and Laura was like, she fell asleep, and I was like, I think she did. Uh-oh. And then my sister was trying to explain it. And then my friend Hannah, her mum, who's in her bubble, has moved in because her mum broke her ankle. And my friend Hannah said, I can hear my mum on the phone to my aunt and they're arguing about the ending of Behind Rise and what really happened. She went, I don't think it's a show for the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Put that on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's, I think, you know, that's probably not how as people who've just sold film rights are hoping it goes for them. <laughs> and I don't yeah. blame them. You do wonder how they do screen tests nowadays with COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I don't God. Yeah. That is kind of awkward, though. I mean, it's one thing like, you know, when I was young, I think I was, I watched Basic Instinct when I was about 16. It was late night ITV. And, and of course, you know, absolutely like mum or dad walked in right when the scene was happening. And I felt, you know, it's just everyone's been there. But to watch, to watch your own show where you, you, you've written, may have even written the scenes. That must be a bit awkward. It was a very faithful adaptation. So I did write those scenes. Yeah. (laughs) And I that wanted to brilliant. say, actually, Mum, in the book, it was anal, but it probably isn't in the show. <laughs> I thought, no, let's just leave that alone. Let's just pop that to one. Let's park that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's brilliant. Well, you know, at least they've left it up to the viewer's imagination. I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe there should be a debate on the Facebook page, Mark, about it. It's a, kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a litmus test, isn't it? It tells it you more about the viewer. <laughs> Listen, uh, we've got some um, we got some listener questions, Sarah. Pissed uh, off now. They're probably like Jesus Christ. What is this? They're mad and lockdown. Uh, we got one from Rob Gibson, and he says, "How involved was Sarah in the adaptation process?" Now, I did notice that you got a consultant credit. So, were you there, sort of on standby to to chip in if they if they yeah, can figure something a consultant out? Consultant credit. Let's get brutal about how all this works a consultant credit gets you five grand extra so your agent pushes for a consultant credit and it's making a note of that make sure you get that um so yeah but it does mean if there is a query obviously you answer it but i you know i literally had nothing to do with the adaptation at all they asked me when the first episode was written they said did i want to read it and i said no I mean, I went to the read-through, but that was just for the fun of it. You know, mm. wasn't at all. But Because I kind of think once you sell, unless you're doing the, the adaptation yourself, step yeah. away, nobody wants the author looking over their shoulder going, oh, I don't think you did that quite right. Because also most authors are not screenwriters. So most authors don't understand the differences between screen. And, and, and even if you do screenwriting, you've not been hard on this job, so sit yourself back down. That's my take yeah. on it. You know, I think no, no one wise. no one thanks the author who wants to give notes. 
No, very good. Rob, Rob goes on. Uh, he says, it will be tough to answer this, but was there anything about the series that bothered Sarah, specifically anything that was changed or cut out? Now, you said it was a pretty faithful adaptation, wasn't it? Was no, there anything that you missed? Were, and I was quite pleased because in the book, the cat gets it. <laughs> oh, I yeah. did. Wait, oh, save oh. the cat. <laughs> yes, literally save the cat. There's two dead cats in the book. There's a dead cat at the beginning, which is like an echo of Marianne's dead cat. And when I was watching it and we were getting to that scene, I was thinking, oh, no, please, God, don't say they killed the cat because it's quite different doing it in a book than it is. But they didn't. They saved, they literally saved the cat. And in the book, Adele was pregnant when Rob took over. Right, right. And Rob flushed that baby down, you know, had an abortion. But they took, they didn't have that because I think as well, the book... (laughs) You, because it's so, it's all internal monologue in the book, you can get the um, black comedy across in the book. So, But if you put that in a show, that would be really dark on top of everything else that's happened. You know, that would have been a wonder, you know, the cat yeah. and the abortion would be really dark. Whereas in the book, it's all kind of, it, yeah, it's just, um, it's, I, I know it's not, it's wrong to say it was fun that he had an abortion, but the way the tone of voice that, you know, the, the way it's told is it's not so grim, if you know what I mean. There's also a line, it's on the last page, I think, of the book where Rob, as Adele says, you know, realises that Adam is going to be a problem. At, yeah. At, and, and, and there's a line along, you know, oh, children are quite accident prone, aren't they? And you're like, oh. Together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's grief. Children are accident prone and grief can bring people together. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But I think the, the implication is there in the show when she's just like, oh, maybe I've changed, you know, and she looks. <laughs> I think the musical choices, I think, were great. I think they did get that really heightened tone. Sorry, I'm waffling at mm. you guys. I know you want to keep this to a tight schedule, but I haven't spoken to anyone all day, so you're just going to have to listen. <laughs> Fair enough. We haven't spoken to anyone really since COVID began, Sarah, so you're in good company. So. Okay. <laughs> when, you're actually, when you're actually watching the show, I mean, I know as, as authors, Mark, when Mark and I were writing Back to Reality, we kind of tried to write it in our heads as a movie. We were trying to see it as a movie um, playing out so that it was very visual when we wrote it. Is that how you write or was it an interesting experience and has it been an interesting experience seeing how an adaptation has turned what was in your head into someone else's kind of Um, vision with different characters? I I mean, I I write very visually anyway. I think that's probably why so much of my stuff has been optioned. That's what I was wondering. Right, in quite a visual way, but I never really think about it. And, And to be fair, I mean, like what Steve did with this, although it's a very, very faithful adaptation, it was a really tricky adaptation because there's dream sequences, there's body swapping. It's all internal. He had to externalize a huge amount of stuff that is happening, you know, like in the book, a lot of it is just their reporting events and it's in their head. It's that he had to get all of that across. And Eric, obviously the director, they had to get all of that across. Um, so yeah, with this one, I, I wasn't sure it would ever get made because it's such an odd, odd story. Um, dead to her, you know, when that was picked up, I thought, yeah, and Amazon Amazon bought that in the room from Topic. So that's kind of, but that had a very much a flavour of big, you know, Deep South kind of dynasty meets the Deep South kind of thing. So that I could see happening. But behind her eyes, I just thought, who's going to want to do dream sequences and flashbacks well, and all this stuff? Were they always talking about it as a as a series or were they talking about it as, was there ever talk of a feature film? 
No, see, this is where originally I, I think I said this on the last time, I really wanted to sell it to film because it was just before, I mean, Netflix was there, but it wasn't the, the powerhouse it is now. Mm-hmm. And TV still wasn't. I mean, there was, I think, like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. And I think the, like Fargo had maybe been on maybe the first series of True Detective, but this kind of event television thing was only just starting really you still kind of wanted it to be the next gone girl film really you want you know you wanted the movie experience but with left bank they they wanted to do it for television right from the start and in the meeting i remember being oh you know i'm not really sure about television and andy harry's was just like look sarah i'll tell you this we'll get it made tell it to us it'll get made and i was like I just looked and I looked around the table and I thought, yeah, and they totally got the book. They totally understood it. And then anyone I mentioned to it in TV afterwards, I was like, oh, they, who's got it? I was like, oh, left bank. They go, oh, yeah, that'll get made. So, you know, they're such a slick outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this might be a question for, for Steve, but every episode was released on day one, whereas Dis- Disney Plus tend to be, because they haven't, simply haven't got the content, are releasing their shows one a week. And it seems that each of those shows has a massive cliffhanger. So it, it, did it affect the writing of the episodes, knowing that it was going to be available on one day, knowing that people would most likely binge episodes, go straight from one to the other? Well, I think that's really important with the next Netflix algorithms because they want to know how many people are binging. They don't mm-hmm. care. You know, you can click on it. If you don't watch all of it, they don't care. You know, mm-hmm. where so it's kind of like the figures matter for the whole thing. So you still have to have the cliffhanger because you want or you've got to have enough of a cliffhanger to make yeah, people yeah, want to click yeah. onto the next one and the next one and the next one. So, you know, like at the end of episode one where they meet and you get that moment where Adele gives Louise the up and down, you're like, oh, hello, what's going to happen now? So it doesn't yeah. have to be a big, you know, people, I think people, I think what I really loved about what they did, which some people didn't like, viewers, but for me, what I really loved is it is a, it is quite a slow burn novel. The start of it is quite slow burn and they kept that slow burn which I think is really important if you're going to, if you're leading people into something that's really quite batshit, you want to really settle the world before you yeah. take them down a kind of crazy path. Yeah. It was kind of interesting having watched it. It, it was kind of, you know, watching, there were, I, I kind of noticed some things were going on that I couldn't quite make sense of, but, and there wasn't in just, there wasn't enough clue, clues to make it, oh, yeah, that's absolutely what's going on. But when it happened, yeah. The thing that I've absolutely loved, I mean, the hashtag on Twitter has just been like, it's been my month because reporters, you know, journalists don't always like stuff and they certainly didn't like this to start with until they realised everyone else did. And then they started to slowly <laughs> shift their article tone. But on Twitter, on Twitter, it was just immense. And the amount of people who were like, I've got to go, I've watched it the second time knowing what I know. And now I see all the clues I didn't see. So I really like that the people who have, some people are still, as with the book, oh, that was just pulled out of thin air. And you think, no, 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 if you watch it again. And people on Twitter are like, how did I not realise when I the colours and how did I not realise the camera angles and this and that and the cooking and, you know, so that's been great. The cook, the cooking was the thing Claire noticed. She was like, I, th- I thought she couldn't cook. And then when Rob starts cooking, she's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> It's it's brilliantly thought through. I, there's there's very few things that you watch and then you have to think about them more after you finish watching yeah, them than during you watching like, them, right? Yeah. I like I, I like stories like that because I like it to make sense and it has a proper ending, but you still go away with your brain. I mean, when I watched it, and to me this was a tell for how good I thought the show was, I finished watching it 
So I got to the end and I was like, oh, that's quite dark. Then I went and had a shower and I was still thinking about it. And then I got into bed and I was still thinking about it and how disturbing it was. And I thought, I made this up. Why am right, I so You wrote scared? it. <laughs> it in my head. But it was, you know, it's different seeing it. <laughs> well, we've got a question from Laura Shepard who says, I love how Sarah both signals and hides the twists with the same clues. How did she plan this? Some misdirection tips would be wonderful. Thanks, Laura. So you're very, I remember when we last spoke to you, you're very much a planner, aren't you? You do outline a lot of stuff. But you felt you start with the ending with this one and work back, didn't you? Start with the ending always. Oh well, I don't. You know, I have to have the ending locked in. So I think then you've got you know where you're going. And I think because I do do quite a lot of screenwriting, that really helps because, as you know, everything is structure. Everything is structure in screenwriting. So if you apply that to writing a thriller, you're doing the same kind of reveals, turns. But um, quite often. I do it too subtly and then like Natasha Barden at Harper is like, no, Sarah, we've got to, you've got to actually make it so that people could possibly guess this or at least see it when they look back. <laughs> you know? Because you, you know what it's like, you feel like when you're writing a clue, you feel like there's a massive arrow over the top going, look here. Yeah, because yeah, you know it. That's actually, there's a real sweet spot though, isn't there? There's a real skill in knowing where you're not too subtle but you're not too obvious. And that's that's the skill, I think, in it. not the things you plan. Those are often the things that come as you're writing and you think, oh, actually, you know, if I, you know, if, if she, you know, if the last few pages of the notebook are missing or if he says she can never see this notebook, that these little clues, are, and in the book, there's one when she takes out a photo, she's going looking for the notebook and she takes out a family photo and of course, it's Adele when she was 17, which was obviously the real Adele. And she's like, oh, I'm looking at a stranger kind of thing. And you feel like it's because her life has changed so much. But actually, no, no, she's, I'm looking, it's like it's looking like looking at another person or something like that. So it's actually honest. But yeah. that was the hardest part, writing Adele, because she had to be honest. But you had yeah. to be able yeah. to go back and say, oh, my God. You know. And did did Natasha was Natasha really helpful in being that objective point of view in saying to you actually this is great I completely fell for it what did was that guidance helpful? Well, yeah, I mean I pitched it first, so they had it as a written pitch, so they got it. Uh, you know, they knew what was coming and stuff. But yeah, Natasha's really good at you know she's very good at at, at the how can I put it because a lot of character stuff she's very good at. You know, she's like, <laughs> Adam, my fucking bugbear was Adam because I don't have kids, you know? So I'd written this six-year-old and even Tasha, Tasha's like, Sarah, I don't have kids. But, you know, this is not how a six-year-old behaves. I've asked around the office because he was such a good boy. So I had to make <laughs> and then send him away for a month, you know? But she's, you know, she's very good at also younger women because obviously she's 31, 32. So, you know, I'm nearly 50. So there is that millennial divide i'm a bit more sort of cynical about the world and stuff so you know yeah but yeah she is well, i can say i was gonna say as a dad of, of three kids i i've got to say that the son was one of my favorite characters they they absolutely nailed it brilliantly dancing around going off to france i just thought wasn't he because he was they lovely adorable they go for like so sweet sweet kid they just got a really good and i love the hashtag of save adam everyone says yeah. Yeah. and he's got a brilliant paddington bear stare as well he's like because yes. he knew as soon as that door opened and he sort of hesitates and it's like oh he knows he really and knows really picked 
picked up, which I didn't pick up, that, that, that came in the direction, I think, and probably in the writing as well, in the scripts, I can't remember. But every time Louise greeted Adam, she crouched. Mm. Every yeah. single time that it was at school or, you know, coming back from holiday or whatever, she would crouch down and see him. That time she didn't. Mm. There was, you know, little things that were so subtle that I didn't even notice. People were really, some people really watched it really closely. I should have set a test. <laughs> <laughs> now, now because of, because of how, how the, the ending kind of sp- not split the audience, but there was certainly, like you're saying early on, a lot of the critics were kind of like, not, not kind of like understanding it really in some ways. How do you, how do you take that? Cause we get a lot of authors who talk about this idea of, you know, their work, when their work gets out there and it gets criticized, how do you deal with it, Sarah? Cause obviously, you I know, don't uh, mind, you know, you like just, I would mind if it's it. everybody, if the whole world went, Jesus Christ, that is the worst book I've ever read. <laughs> I think, oh God, man, I didn't really hit the mark with that one, you know, but um, when it's the ending was always going to be Marmite. It was Marmite in the book. If you're if you're a straight, if you're someone who's picked up a book and you only read like pure crime, you know, if you're a purist in your mm-hmm. crime reading, the ending's going to piss you off. Doesn't matter how clever it is, it's going to piss you off. It's not your type of story. But but ninety percent of people have gone with it, and especially the Netflix audience. You know, I think they're much more open-minded, maybe. I mean, that's I'm not saying that crime readers are closed-minded, but you know what I mean? If you're watching Netflix, you tend to be a bit more, watch a bit more broadly. It's There There are some readers who, uh, you know, and I've heard authors say this as well, I just won't read any fantasy. I won't read anything that's not grounded in reality. And the thing is, those first two and a half, three episodes, you know, the first half of the book is very much grounded in reality and it's brilliant and it's great. And you're thinking this is a great domestic thriller. Oh, she's cheating on and all these affairs going on, but how's it going to end? And then you start getting the funny camera angles with the light around the corner. And I'm like, oh, oh, wonderful. And I I can see some people are going, oh, this isn't, you know. uh, And the thing is, though, it is, to me, it is a domestic thriller. You know, it's absolutely peak domestic thriller. The fact that it has a bit of crazy stuff in it, (laughs) you know, it all hits the beats. It's still got the clues. It's got all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I don't mind. People, You know, it's if you're going to try and write something spit out of the box, you've got to be prepared that a lot of people aren't going to like it. But, you know, I just don't, I just don't get involved with with the, you know, I'm never going to defend it because I think I've bought books that have been massive bestsellers and thought, God, this isn't for me. You know, when, and that's just the way it is, isn't it, for all of us? The thing is, if you go for just a kind of standard vanilla ending, it's, you know, the, the classic happy ending, then you you don't get any discussion afterwards. You see, what's ha- what we've seen happen with your with your book and also now the Netflix adaption is it's gone bonkers in terms of like, if people are talking about it, then that's ultimately good because then other people, we always talk about this with Amazon reviews, if, you know, if somebody gives yourself a one-star Amazon review, then people often want to make up their own mind and think, well, there's a lot of people saying it's great. This person thinks it's rubbish. I'm going to make up my own view. And then they watch That's it. That's like so. one in five stars was on Amazon for Bind Rides. And I said it to Jess before it came out. I said to Jess, there are going to be people who hate this show because it's bonkers, you know, and they'll either not, they'll either not get with it or they'll, they'll be a little bit stayed. And, you know, like, you know, there might be reviewers who like something a bit more intellectual or whatever. And she was like, oh, I can't, I, I'm not sure I can cope with people not liking it. I said, no, no, it's good. It's because the people who love it and the people who hate it will talk about it. They'll all want to talk about it. And that's, I mean, we were number one in the UK for nearly three weeks. I think we, we just mm. got to three weeks and then dropped. So, you know, it's And do you know how it was received abroad as well? Yes. Yes. We've done, um, I think 
There's a, a, a website called Flix Patrol where you can track where it is in each country. And there was one point, I think we were about 70 out of 90 something countries. We were number one. Wow. <laughs> so we've done really well. And we're still in top 10 pretty much everywhere. We've dropped out in a few places, but. Yeah, so a month in, it's not bad going. Massive congratulations. That's that's absolutely brilliant. It's just weird. It's such a weird feeling. Such a weird feeling. I've got a couple of questions here. So Jeff White says, uh, how do you cope with, with success? And is there anything you would tell yourself when you were starting out? Any specific advice for those in the early part of their author journey? Um, just keep writing and don't get caught up in all the bollocks on Twitter and you know, like, to be honest, all that other writer stuff and, you know, you look and you see every, you know, like everyone's telling everyone how to write and it's like, just do do your own thing. And remember, there are people out there who have massive careers that literally don't go on social media, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to be in a clique. You know, I mean, it's great. Go along to festivals, meet people, have a drink, have a laugh, have a conversation, but do not judge yourself by other people's standards. Don't get in, don't get competitive with other writers. It's a waste of time. Basically, just crack on with it it's not mm. brain surgery if you get it wrong we've got a question from denise denise ganley denise ganley says what kind of pep call, pep talks have you given yourself or have others given you in your writing career but you know like you're saying there's well no there are some good ones there because my friend charlotte who i've known who lives up the road from me and you know my local friends obviously they knew me when i was teaching and when i was first starting out writing and when i bitch and moan about my career and worrying about stuff she's like sarah do you remember when that first horror novel came out that you got paid $2,000 for and you were so happy? Try and channel a little bit of that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I, the thing is, the people who are full of fear all the time, you know, it's this awful irony. The, you know, like if you don't really enjoy your success, it'll probably make you more successful, you know? I, I think there's a there's truth in that because I think what can happen is you it can go to your head and you can get really complacent and then you can lose your mojo as a creative force i've yeah, seen I that happen that at all that's the absolute absolute opposite of me i mm. think i'm constantly what next what next what next yeah what next so it's never i'm always worrying about the next thing and i think if you stop all that's left is the void <laughs> so you know, <laughs> but, you know what next i like to have like four or five things on the go at once I'd be working mm. seven days and so so what Having seen the success of the of the show now in the book, I mean, how does it inspire you in terms of what you want what you want to work on next? Well, I've been quite lucky in that, you know, I've been the success of the show has been helpful. But before the show, I'd already um, I did a pilot episode um, script, which sort of has gone around Hollywood and got me loads of meetings. And I'm writing a film for Village Roadshow in America I'm writing I've just done right well I've written the we've got to do notes on it but um the adaptation of the death house which hopefully we'll be filming next year with the producer of Bohemian Rhapsody and we've got this we've got a really good wow. dynamic and we want to do some more films together um uh yeah I've been having meetings with everybody I've got a few th so I really am enjoying the screenwriting I'm really enjoying that in a lot of ways Awful as it is to say, more than book. I mean, that's my, I've just handed in yesterday my 26th, 27th book. Yeah, 26th wow. book in 15 years. So, you know, it's a lot of books, a lot of books. So I do want to write more books, but I think I don't necessarily want to, I say this, and now I'll probably have a, a thriller idea, but 
I said ages ago that the point of, to, to myself, and actually to anybody, the point of having money in the bank is that you can write what you want to write. Whether that means you only sell 10,000 books instead of 250,000 books, that's a choice you've got to make. But, you know, like, I think what's the point? Of, I don't think I could be a thriller a year writer because I think to be a thriller a year writer, you, you have to just write that thriller. Mm. You know, I don't think there's space to write other, th- I like to write a film, I like to write this, I, want, I like sci-fi, I like horror, missing ghost stories, all this stuff. And so I'm kind of, I've never been very good at, at being in one genre box, as mm. Mark knows from our Galance days, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's I like to do something here, and something there. So I'm feeling like, and I think the pandemic has probably made quite a lot of us reflect on, on what we actually want to be doing with our time and what's the point of doing a job that most people would cut their arm off to work from home doing something that they actually really love doing why make yourself miserable writing types of books that maybe you want to have a break from you know or do something different so I'm really enjoying it's a long way around of saying I still want to write books um but I'm really really liking the feeling of a new door opening Mm. well this is um it's what Gillian Flynn did after Gone Girl, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, exactly. David Fincher, and, yeah. I mean, why not? You know, have, have and the thing is, books and books for me are my happy place. They're where I get to do whatever I want. Whereas with TV and films, a lot of compromise. It's a different kind of thing. There's a lot of collaboration, which I enjoy as well. And mixing up the two is is just wonderful. It's it's. And I don't it's, know about you, Mark, but I don't trust books. As in, like, the, the career is so hard. This, I mean, I mean, obviously it's really hard in film and TV, but you can write... I mean, so Death House might never get made. I think it will. Might mm-hmm. never get made. I've already been paid a fuck ton of money. The money is really good because you have to collaborate and you have to take notes. You have to... Especially if you get an American money... You know, English money not so great. American money, brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, no. The the W the WGA deals in America for screenwriters. You can you can actually have a very healthy career and never get anything made. Made, be well respected, <laughs> and so the books are great for getting your work actually made. But it can feel a bit like, you know, you it's so hard to get in that top ten, and it's so hard to to get in the supermarket. It's so hard to get profile. And then it's so easy to slip down. You can see why my, I'm so fucking miserable, can't you? <laughs> I can't just think, whoa, I'm doing really well. This is great. Um, actually, I was walking my dog the other lunchtime. And as you can tell, I'm very much a, um, you know, scruffy person. And I walked past a woman's house in my street around the corner. And she opened the window. And I, I've seen her, obviously, in passing. And she went, Sarah, Sarah, I just want to say... We really love Behind Her Eyes. She said, and also, we just love that you're so normal and you live on our street. <laughs> she said, oh no, she goes, you're so famous and so normal. And I thought, she really doesn't have any idea of how not famous I am. <laughs> so yeah, I'm so famous. <laughs> but it was a nice moment. But um, yeah, I just want to work and make lots of money and be happy. I mean, what's so wrong with that? Absolutely. Why, why could you ask for less? It's, it is interesting though, isn't it? Because I think a lot, I think the idea of being an author, being a screenwriter, a lot of what appeals to, to that creative is the idea that even if you have a worldwide successful Netflix series, you can walk down the street. And, and I think it's, it, it's kind of the very few places in or careers in the world where you can get that level of success and not become, you know, like get mobbed in the street. Do yeah. you do you enjoy that aspect of it that you've got fans that really kind of know who you are and what you've done and then other people that you can walk past in Sainsbury and they they wouldn't know that they just I watched your movie. Like, 
I when I started out, I thought I would really enjoy all the publicity side of things, but I really don't. Like I will quite happily go to a festival. I really hate when I have to do a panel at a festival. You know, like, I just don't know why. I just find it. And the more I do, the more invasive I find it, even though I'm so open when I talk. Maybe it's because I'm so open when I talk that I actually come away and think, oh, I feel like, you know, and then people think they know you and you think, well, you don't actually know me. I've done a panel. And, you know, so it's, I find as I've got older, I, I like my privacy a bit better. And I like it's why I'm really glad I moved back to my hometown and I've got all my friends that are not writing related, not you know, like they're nothing to do with the industry. As much as I used to love living in London, everybody I knew there was to do with books or TV or film. So you're never off, you can never turn off. But yeah, I do. I think I was talking, you know, not heavy name drop, but I was talking to Richard Osman about it ages ago. Like, cause I used to live in Chiswick and he lived in Chiswick and he knows friends of mine. So we'd gone and we were smashed in a bar. And I was like, God, I am so rude sometimes in an awful way. You know, when you're in a bad mood and you go into like a news agent and they say, you know, someone barges into you or something. And I have this, I think we all have it. Then you come out and hate yourself, but you kind of get, oh, you know, middle-aged woman, really rude in me comes out. And I think, God, if you were famous and people knew who you were, you could never, ever, ever do that without your name being mud around town forever. So I think actually, I think people in my town just, they've, they've, I think they just used to think I was a jobless tramp. And now they just think I'm creative. <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've got a question from, well, a couple of questions. One, The second one is about Ted. Uh, first one is if you were starting out now and hitting a wall of rich. Oh, there's Ted. That's it. Show over. We peaked. <laughs> I'm not impressed. He hates Zoom. He's like, ugh. <clears throat> oh, bless him. Um, if you were hitting a wall of rejections, would you consider self-publishing now? I mean, is that something, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I have talked to people about this. I think, I mean, self-publishing now is very different to how self-publishing was even like five or six years ago. But I still yeah. think it's, it's not, I think for the majority of people, like the vast majority, it's never going to be a money spinner. You know, it's never going to get you a massive readership. I mean, I know it does. I know there's always exceptions to the rule, but the rule, I, I mean, I really don't know. I probably would it's because my mentality about self-publishing would probably be different. Mm. But for me, I'm like, just write a different book and send it out. And I, I still think when I look at the people who've successfully self-published, I think James Oswald started out self-published, didn't he? If I got that right. Was it uh, yes, I think he did. Yeah. I think he did. Yeah. But everyone yeah. I know that, and I, I think there was another, a female crime writer, I can't remember her name, who, um, I don't want to. I don't want to name the wrong writer, but there was another one who did a panel with him on it. But they they all go traditional when they're successful, you know. <laughs> so they all go for the traditional deal. Majority go for a traditional deal. So I don't know. I I I on it's it's not something I think about anymore. No, the self publishing. I mean, but I'm still. But I know that I still have a snootiness about it as much as I shouldn't. I do because if there's a local like writing festival and they go, oh, this person is, you know, local author, blah, blah, blah. And I look and go, oh, yeah, self-published. And unless I click on it and read something, go, oh, actually, that's quite a good book. The majority, you think, well, that that doesn't mean anything. Anyone can whack something up on Amazon and be a published author. So, yeah, I still have that kind of, which is wrong. 
but I'm a middle-aged lady with <laughs> I think it's I think it's one of the, it's 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 definitely come of age and you have got a top tier who are absolutely fantastic you know and you look at someone like LJ Ross who has done incredibly well and started her own publishing imprint but and they are that yeah and you have to get professional covers and professional editors and yeah, treat yeah. it like a business yeah though that I consider that to be a different Mm. level but there's very few people and there's very few people who can do both things like write a really good book and successfully publish a really good book because that whole thing I remember doing a panel with Steve Mosby and we were so shit at pimping our own books we just started to sell each other's like I said oh the thing I loved about your book Steve (laughs) and he said and what I loved about your book because we just were like oh don't buy my book it's shit buy his book because it's you have to have that you have to have that sheer confidence in your product as it's, well. It's some it's something we've noticed in over three hundred and whatever episodes of the podcast is that the indie authors are brilliant at at pitching it in one paragraph, whereas traditionally published are like, well, it's about this thing, and then there's a thing. Oh, and I forgot that thing there. You know, so yeah, they are they are very good at that. <laughs> Well, our second question from Ed is, has Ted rolled in any fox shite recently and why do they do this? Every fucking day at the moment. <laughs> the hose of shame. Every day. And it's all literally a turnaround. He's fine. Turn around again. Smeared in the brown shit. And it's that horrible kind of dark brown, tarry. And then he's like, yeah, okay, I'll take the hose of shame. It was worth it. And But it doesn't matter how much fox poo shampoo you put on them, they still stink. Do you know what, Sarah? You need to move to Vancouver Island. We don't have foxes here. It's quite it's extreme, though, isn't it? So really? biz- it is a bit extreme, just to get away from the smell, for sure. <laughs> now, we often we often ask um, our our listeners actually about something called dream declaration. We always want to get people to kind of like state what their kind of big goal is. Um, we've never asked an author. And I'm wondering what what do you where do you get what would you like to achieve? Have you still got anything on your kind of? Do you even have a wish list, dream list? Oh yeah, I would okay. Like, what's the biggies gone? Well, I would like everything. <laughs> 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 to be I want it all. So is there a biggie? Is there a biggie? Yeah, yeah. Go on, I've got a list. I've got a list. Go on, go on. Give us so a list. I want. I won't get it because I'm not that kind of writer. But I'd love like as everybody would, like a girl on a train moment or an Eleanor Oliphant or a gonga, because, you know, Behind Her Eyes did well, but not, you know, like nothing, like that kind of where everybody's talking about that book that really hits a mark. Or I would like to write one where, I think like Eleanor Oliphant, where you write a character that people really love, or Bridget Jones, which I know is not perhaps my normal kind of arena, but just to write something like that, I would like to... um, write films that are made i would like a tv series on hbo mm. i would i think i'd probably quite like an oscar it would be nice yeah so i think my list is and the thing is the thing with me is i literally tell myself i can get these things i you know it's like yeah i'm just like why not someone's got to win one well it's, it's probably partly the reason why you've been so successful i mean we've, we've, we've honestly we we've seen this over and over again we say to people you've got to you know, everything first starts as a thought in your imagination. And unless you can actually imagine it, then... To be honest, I didn't, this was not how I imagined my life if I was ever going to have a hit Netflix series. I didn't think I'd still be walking around in my Amazon or Primark joggers in my three-bedroom <laughs> semi in Stony Stratford, Milton Keynes. I thought I'd be living in a nice Malibu mansion. But weirdly and irritatingly, 
I mean, I do find it hugely irritating that I really like living in my small town. <laughs> you know, I'm like, why don't I live in a penthouse in New York? And I thought, because I'd be shit at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let, I've, I've got one last um, listener thing here. And you've done panels. So this, this starts with, it's not a question, it's just a comment. So whenever you hear that at a panel, sends a chill down your spine. But... Stick with this. Uh, this is from Liz Green. Uh, Liz says, if it's appropriate, I want to tell Sarah that as soon as I finished Behind Her Eyes, the book, I texted two friends and told them they had to read this book immediately. And I sent a copy to my grandma, who it turned out had already read it. We've now all watched the show. And my husband immediately called his dad and told him he has to watch it, which is now done. And we loved it. But more importantly for me, and Liz is one of our academies on the Bestseller Academy, she said, I felt like the book was a masterclass in how to keep readers turning the page. It showed me how much power there was in using intrigue and suspense. It got me excited to start using some of those techniques in my writing. I've been feeling a bit crappy about my novel in progress, but this reading this book energize me to have another crack and have fun with it. I'm now almost 50,000 words in and genuinely enjoying writing again. So how about that? That's bloody lovely, isn't it? That's, do you know what? For all my cynicism, that's kind of like, you can't ask for more than that, can you? You know, like, and also it doesn't matter whether you get a Netflix series or sell 10,000 books. If you make one person feel like that Mm. out of a hundred people buying a book, what a great, Thing to feel. So thank you very much. So that's that's You'll probably that's, listen to this now and think, Jesus Christ, that woman's a dick. <laughs> no, but this is this is the gift in this is the gift in all this. And we've said this so many times on the podcast that when you go out and you 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 go for it. Like you you find yourself in that space and you say, I am gonna go for this. I'm gonna go for the best I can. The other thing that you're doing by tr- living your own dream is you're inspiring others to live theirs. And that is you know, and then Liz's Liz's comments there are just, and that for me, those are the things to collect at the end of the day because, like, yeah. like you say, they're they're priceless, aren't they? Like you've changed someone's, you've changed another author's life. Yeah. You may have kept an author writing because of your book, and that I think is where the the, the yeah juice. the sweet spot is definitely yeah brilliant stuff. Basically, I am writing Jesus. I think that's what we're <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Sorry, that was blasphemous. I'm obviously not Jesus. Clearly not Jesus. It worked for the Beatles, Sarah. It'll work for you. That's true. Excellent. The other writers like get back in your pram, love. You're right. You're right. Kind of trashy domestic noir. That's the title for this this podcast. Sarah Pimbra, bigger than Jesus. Oh my god, maybe this pandemic's gone on too long. I need like a therapist. <laughs> well, we can always be your therapist, sir. You know, we're 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 always available. Just pop this on the show. How bad I am when I'm sober. You bet. You're probably wishing I had more wine in me. This is like. <laughs> so, what's next, Sarah? What's coming next? You've mentioned uh, Dead to Her is out now in hardback. There's a paperback in the summer. You've got 13 minutes coming, and you're the sole writer on that, aren't you? You're you're. Dead to you're... Her. What on what death house? On 13, 13 no, minutes. No, thirteen minutes. No, that was Josh Swartz who okay. wrote Gossip Girl and Glee. But that's come apart. I've got the rights back, but I think, I think I might have be selling those again, and I think I will be writing it. But it maybe right. film. Um, you mean IMDb was wrong? I know. <laughs> I'm in a writer's room for a show I can't talk about for Amazon. Uh, I've obviously got this village roadshow space film to write, which I'm quite looking forward to writing. Space. Um, What else am I doing? 
Oh yeah, another film adaptation I might be doing. I've just handed a book in. I'm planning. I'm planning a YA book. I haven't told Tasha it's YA yet, so she might not want that one. So I need to write that quite quickly in case she doesn't want that one. While mulling the next adult novel, and then I'm kind of out of contract, so I'll be seeing how the land lies. Obviously, I still want a contract, but you know, I'm gonna. I'm, the, last year, before I handed in the the outline for this book, which is a bit weird, <laughs> but I kept handing in these outlines, and they were like, "It's not a thriller. It's not a thriller. It's not a thriller." So I kind of. When I'm out of contract, I want to revisit some of those and think if I can find some magic in any of them that works. And then I'll probably just come up with a thriller idea because you know how it is. The minute you think, I can't find any more thriller ideas, I'll be like, oh, what about, you know. I just, asked- want to, I just want to steal Harlan Coben's brain and implant it in my head. <laughs> we asked Michael Conley about his experiences in the writing room at Amazon. Um, what I mean, obviously, you can't talk about what you're doing, but what what's it like? What what's the experience like well, in a writing room for you? It's an English. It's all English people, and it's and it's obviously in Zoom. It's in you know, well, it's not in Zoom, but it's in an online thing. So it's not the same as hmm. I think it's not as intensive. And I I wouldn't have been able to do it if it had been trekking into London every day, five days a week. Time, dog, yeah, I just would have been like, I've got to write a book. Whereas because you're doing it all online. Literally, I can get up, I walk the dog. And in the winter, I was doing getting up at five, doing a couple of hours work on the book, walking the dog, coming back, exercise, breakfast, writer's room. And you've kind of done, you know, like it's not, oh, I've got to get on the train at this time, get across London, mm-hmm. get in the room. So it's been quite an interestingly relaxed process, actually. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not going to be as soon as, you know, we're now in the redrafting process and everyone's starting to sort of splinter off a bit. But it's been, yeah, it's been quite interesting. And actually... Think- for me, it's been great because just before Christmas, I was starting to, you know, when you live on your own in a pandemic is, I mean, I'm really happy on my own, but it can get a bit wearying, you know? So when that came along, it was a bit, okay. So Monday to Friday, there was a sense of routine and people, we just always start the first half hour of a day, just chatting. And so it was nice. It was actually really did me the world of good. Would you be happy after COVID if, if it kind of stayed, if that became the kind of norm for writing rooms oh, on God, Zoom? things i mean like you know what tv especially tv people like before this i'd be going into london for 20 minute meetings and you're like Mm. i've literally like and i'd say we could have done this on the phone they go yeah but we really wanted to see you (laughs) you're like yeah but it was literally one note you know and i've and because i'm such a ocd about lateness i can get from my house into central london in an hour if i time it bang on cab train tube but because I don't I would rather be early than have people wait 20 minutes or 10 minutes it often would take me an hour and a half there and back because I you know the way I the way I travel so you've lost half your day whereas this way you can have the meeting and have done the next draft especially if it's any little notes you know because you've done it all on zoom it's great I've been I've been hearing that um writing rooms because they're on zoom now the, the dynamic has changed a bit because you'd have a room and it'd be quite boisterous and they can often be quite blokey as well. And there'd always be one person constantly interrupting and making wisecracks. And now everyone's had to moderate their behaviour and change it. And it seems to be, the Zoom thing seems to be making the writing rooms a little more democratic. Everyone's getting a little bit more of a say. Oh, to be fair, ours, we all got on so well that it was quite good. I mean, I, you know, I'm like, I'm gobby. But I even I was moderating my gobbiness. You know, because I was like, oh, I'm not in charge. I had to keep reminding myself I wasn't in charge. It doesn't come naturally. <laughs> uh, but no, it was a really good experience. And we were all, you know, we all got on so well that, um, yeah, we didn't, to be fair, I've heard some I've heard some nightmare stories about 
people being made to stand in the corner of writing rooms and stuff like that. And I know, I think more America than here. I think because yeah. the pressure is high there, whereas yeah. we're all English people. So there was a lot of, you know, pausing for a wee and a cup of tea. <laughs> now, before we finish up, Sarah, there is a, a question that everyone wants to know. Someone who's, who's has published and written as many books and screenplays as you have. What is your writing day look like do you have are you very structured or is it kind of all over the place what how does that work well it depends on the time of year so in winter I'm definitely a morning person so in winter when it's dark in the morning so get up about 5 five thirty, do a couple of hours work then walk the dog so then sort of by your back by about nine um yeah I'm kind of a morning worker more on the book potter around clean do whatever boring you know, shopping, whatever that you have to do. Afternoon, I'm really shit at writing in the afternoon. So I'm better at um, screenplays I can do in the afternoons or just planning and answering emails and admin and that kind of thing. And then in the evening, I might do some more. And often now I think, because I know I'm shit in the afternoon, if I want to watch a film, I'll watch it in the afternoon. Okay. And then about five, whatever, because I'm like a fucking granny. I have for tea at about four o'clock. <laughs> I'm on my own. I eat when I'm hungry. You get up at five, four o'clock dinner time. Well, that is. That's late yeah, for dinner if you get up that early. And actually, you eat a lot less if you think, right, I'm really starving. I'm going to have my main meal. Because if I have to go for dinner with someone, I end up having two dinners because I have my dinner because I'm fucking starving. <laughs> then I have to go out for dinner and have another dinner. Um, so, yeah, and then I, I, I can sometimes surprise myself with an extra thousand words or whatever in the evening. But I live literally I'm a seven days a week I work not wow. always productively yeah you know, like I'm one whole day thinking like I'm supposed to be adapting a short story there but someone's asked me if I want to adapt a short story that it's one of my favorite short stories but I, I'm just fine you know when you're trying to find an in with the character the action bit I can do but I need to find the characters and so I'm just mulling a lot you know yeah. like I'm not really writing anything with that I'm just mulling it um but yeah, so really, I, I think I would like to try and be a person that has a day off a week because I really am lazy and like to sit on the sofa and watch movies. I, you know, for me, though, this is probably why I'm single. I will happily watch three or four movies in a row, you know, with a dog walk in the after two. And then I'll be like, OK, where's the pick and mix? Back for another <laughs> one. You know, back in the day when they were all coming out on iTunes and, you know, like Amazon, there was lots of new films. Was, of course, we've had a bit of a slowdown, haven't we? Because production stopped. Mm. But yeah, I used to love like a, a rainy Saturday afternoon, start at about eleven, and be like, "Okay, let's have some movies." It's all it's all good research, though, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, we I can think... tell ourselves that, Mark. But Abs- literally, it's just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 research when you've actually managed to publish a book. I know a lot of people who are still doing research for their first novel, and they've been writing it for twenty years, but they've I watched more Netflix. You've got a notebook beside you on the sofa you, it's work. you can claim it on expenses yeah it's yeah. all still my money <laughs> brilliant <laughs> excellent stuff one we got i got one outstanding question from rob he asked did you get a cameo in the show and someone told me you were in a scene in the last episode is that true yeah i missed I was, it i was sick well number one my hair was brown Number two, I was about a stone and a half heavier than I am normally. Um, so, yeah, I was sitting outside the cafe. The one in oh. Brighton. Yeah, and I'm chatting to the, the woman when Louise comes up. And I literally had a hot water bottle up the back of my top because it was so fucking cold. <laughs> and it was supposed to be summer. So everyone's looking in summertime 
And the, the, so we'd gone down the night before and stayed over. And then Eric said to me, right, Sarah, your cameo, we can either have you in the cafe, but you will have to be here all day, or you can do outside the cafe, which is cold, but you'll only be here a couple of hours. And I was like, that's the one for me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So I am in there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, folks, if you've enjoyed this, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Uh, thanks, as always, to our editors, Dave and JD. Get in touch on bestsellerexperiment.com. Drop a slimer on Facebook at Bestseller Experiment, Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP. Sarah, where can people find you online? Um, in dark corners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can find me at the actually titled at Sarah Pimbra on Twitter. And I think I'm Sarah Pimbra Books on Instagram, but mainly I'm just on Twitter where I pop on and put pictures of my dog and then leave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. And just our massive congratulations with everything that's happened. Obviously, you know, you might not remember this, but you came on just before Behind Her Eyes was released last time. And it was then, I think it went to number one, Mark, didn't it? That Sunday, hit the Sunday Times number one. And we've always claimed claimed that as, you know, you coming on the bestseller experiment. I know, just, uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us today. Dave, it's been lovely it's to been come so back. Much fun. I'm sorry I'm such a dickhead with what I say on 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 conversations but thank you for having me <laughs> brilliant and all the best with everything that you're going to be working on now and in the future and hopefully get you back on in the near future too hopefully yes i'm gonna hold you to that mm, when you win your oscar yeah yeah actually i've got i've got your list written down we might have to do it before then that might be a while <laughs> I've, I've got i've got your list written down so any one of those hits you're back on okay. every, every time one of those hits i think yeah yeah yeah. I'm looking forward to the oh, HBO series. Yeah. <laughs> right, it, it's uh, it's six o'clock and we're keeping you from your dinner. So um... I already had it. I had it before. <laughs> I wasn't going to yeah, wait yeah. till after. I had it at four, watching a place. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> because well, I've literally walked into everybody's nan. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Have a brilliant rest of the week. And it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.